this idea of, well, the, the phrase is the life you've always wanted. That's really the phrase that has been going through my mind all week long as I've been preparing for this day and, and also, I guess, uh, it's been on my mind uh, throughout the week. Yesterday, I certainly was on my mind as I conducted a funeral for a, a family that was saying goodbye to their daughter, to their sister, to their, to their mom, to their grandma. Um, I, I suppose that we all have those kinds of thoughts in our minds sometimes. Uh, from time to time, I guess, asking ourselves that, kind of, that question, you know, what do I really want out of life? I know I, that the older I get, I think it becomes more important for me to be able to accomplish some things that, that bring value to the, the people that are around me. Um, I want to make some kind of an impact, I guess, on the world around me. And, and you start to ask, you know, have, am I accomplishing the things that I've, I've set out to accomplish? And uh, do I want to, uh, am I accomplishing the things that I, I want to get done, I guess? Uh, um, and you know, I guess also as the older I get, I, the things that I see as being valuable are, are not the things that you can get from this world. Uh, and that's really, I think, what this series of, being, of having an encounter with Jesus has been really about. Um, because the life, that I've, the life that I've always wanted, now more than ever, is wrapped up in what Jesus has to offer to me, it's wrapped up in the the very person of Jesus Christ. I want to play with that image just for a little bit this morning and talk about what it is that Jesus offers us, that gives us that life that we really want, that we really long for. Um, our text uh, is closing in on the Gospel of John. Um, I want to look at chapter twenty here. Um, it's just a little small segment of the resurrection appearance. Um, we saw his burial last week. We are introduced earlier. Uh, in the chapter to the fact that the tomb is now empty. And uh, he appears to Mary in the garden. And in, in verse number 19, that's where we pick up our story. Uh, some, some verses of scripture here, starting in verse number 19. It says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. My peace I give to you, he says. Receive, he says, the Holy Spirit. Um, it's, it's what Jesus offers us, I think. And, and frankly, what, when we receive that, what we discover, I think, is the life that we've always wanted. Uh, because I, I think that the life that we've always wanted would include at least this. I think we receive his peace through his sacrifice. Um, we, we notice that here in the context, I think. Uh, there these uh, individuals are, these disciples are behind locked doors. They're, they're, doing, they're behind locked doors for fear of the Jews. This is after the resurrection. The tomb is empty. And yet the disciples have all locked themselves up into this inner room of this house. They've locked, them, they've locked the inside door. They've locked the outside door. They've huddled themselves together. 
because they are deathly afraid of what may come. And Jesus somehow simply appears in the midst, midst of them. I, I have a question for us today. I, I, I guess I'm, I'm thinking about this. What in the world might you be afraid of? What are some of the things that we fear? See, it, it's this fear of the Jew, Jews thing. I, I understand what they're afraid of. They're, they're afraid that the same thing is going to happen to them that happened to Jesus, right? But so often, I, one of the things that I think that we discover when we encounter Jesus is that inherent within us are some fears. I think some of the fears that, that we see is maybe a fear of the repercussions. Uh, I've seen it time and time again. That if you've, because we know that if you've given your life to Christ, if you've, if you've been obedient to Him, if you've submitted yourselves to Him, that sometimes there's repercussions to that. I think about what um, Ruth was talking about in, in the midst of our prayer time, talking about the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Christians and, and just thinking about what kinds of things, uh, you know, when you're in the midst of some of those countries, um, what kind of reper repercussions might come from that? This is that day, by the way, today and, and next week is that day that you, we celebrate those uh, that the the fact that we have those persecuted Christians all not just here but primarily it's happening I mean it's happening a lot throughout our world as as we brought out but the fear of repercussions and and um, you know there I think that the way that we experience that um, the way that I've experienced it at times probably I would be, maybe be the one that would be um, the example as much as I've seen some others. I, I know that I've talked with people. One of the fears that we have is that you, you look at the people around you and, and, and they're afraid of what's going to happen to them. You've got, you know, people around you just don't. Have you ever, anybody in this room ever experienced when you became a Christian, when you accepted Christ, the people around you just hated that? I have a, a, a brother-in-law who's, uh, who's, whose brother when he accepted Christ, his wife just said, I'm, that's it, I'm done. She walked away. I don't want anything to do with Christ, that's it. That's pretty serious, right? Um, I know people that families, uh, my friend Greg, I've talked with you about Greg before. Greg, when he became a Christian, all of his family, they, are, they laugh about him. They, they are, they're constantly trying to get him to, to be reasonable because that's not the way, you, you don't have to get all sort of religious, that kind of stuff. I, it's, the, it's the fear of repercussion kinds of things that, that happen. And frankly, I think a lot of people are afraid of that. And I don't want to be, I, you know, I don't, want to I don't want people to think that I've deserved I don't want that to happen. They don't like the fact that you have certain kinds of standards and they don't like the fact that you've taken that stand. And, and I look at, at, uh, at my brother-in-law, Mark's uh, brother, I, I, I look at him, I look at Greg, I look at individuals like him who have had to actually come out. I didn't have that experience. I grew up in a Christian home. But I'll tell you what, when I look at individuals like that and I see the kinds of things that they've stood up to and, and I know that that's real. You know for a fact that that's real. But I think that that's a real fear for people, this fear of, 
of, of repercussions because it could be people who are close to us, it could be family members, it could be friends, it could be the people with, that, that you work with and some, sometimes they have, and I have experienced that, not to the extent that others have, but I know that they can make your lives just miserable. And it's, it's hard because then the question becomes, do I really want to deal with that? <laughs> is, this, is this really worth it? I think sometimes self-consciously in our minds we think about that is that, you know, will I be as influential or will I be as, do I re is this worth it? Is, is it a relationship with Jesus really worth that? And so rather than try to deal with things like that, we, we ignore the life that we could have for a life that we do have that may, we may not really want. Uh, maybe, maybe it's not the fear of what other people will think of, uh, of you. <laughs> maybe it's not the fear of repercussions. Maybe it's actually the fear of the change itself. And I've I, I got to be honest with you, this is the one that hits me the hardest. Because quite frankly, this is one of the biggest obstacles that I had to accepting several years ago in making the decision to give my life completely to Jesus Christ. It, it's... Uh, it, it, it's the very same fear that I think I sometimes wrestle with even today when Jesus challenges me to, to turn over another part of my life. Uh, make no mistake about it, it's not just a one-time thing, right? We know that. If you know that, say, yeah, I know that, right? It's not just once. But when Jesus met me several years ago, 1987, in the city of Bemidji and said, you know what, I want you to give your life to me now, I had some decisions to make. And he's been doing that ever since. You know what? Here's an area of your life I want you to tweak a little. Not maybe sometimes not even tweak. I want you to change it. And that's the fear. The biggest obstacle I had is that he's going to want me to, to change some things, right? I've got to do some things differently that I, than I used to. I, I suspect that's probably the same for most of us. You know, because when, when if you're, if you're going to surrender yourself to, to him or surrender this uh, new thing today, he's going to ask you to make some changes in your life. And frankly, you're afraid to give that up because that's, that's the way that your life is shaped. That's the way that it's, it's been molded. And you cannot figure, just imagine what life would be like if those things were taken away. And so sometimes that, even the change itself, sometimes frightens us. And unless we're willing to surrender some things, not just that initial surrender, but that daily surrender as God begins to try to, to, to shape us and to mold us, unless we're willing to surrender to Christ, we will never know if that's the life that we want until we are experiencing that to find it out. See, I think that the question is this. Is surrendering to Jesus adequate to replace the stuff I'm giving up. And again, that was really my initial struggle. And today I think it's the same thing. God, am I willing to give up anything to follow you? And we'll never know. None of us will. We will you, you will never know until you take the step. That's, I think that's why they call it faith, by the way. The life that we've always wanted, I think, is found in this text, and it's in the, it's in the language of believing. That's what this book, I, I think, has been about since from the start to, to the finish, the, to encounter Jesus and 
come to a place that you believe in him. And not once in the entire book of John, by the way, is the noun faith found. Not once. But over a hundred times, or nearly a hundred times, the verb believe occurs. Very often it is to believe in something. And almost all the time that believing in something isn't a something at all, but it's a someone. We get introduced to it in John chapter 3 when John says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that if we would believe in Him, we would have eternal life. That's really the challenge. Are we willing to take a serious look at Jesus and to believe in Him? Back up in this text here to verse number 8, and here's the experience. The women have come to the tomb. They have come back. Uh, they, they have called Peter and John. Peter and John have come to the tomb to look for themselves. And then verse number 8 says this, Finally the other disciple, John, that is, who had reached the tomb first also went inside, and he saw and he believed. That's even before he got a chance to to see Jesus. He simply took a look at the empty tomb. He, he took a look at the, at the clothing that was laying there. He, he realized that the stone had been rolled away and he chose or he made a conscious decision to believe in the resurrection. And frankly, I think that's the position that you and I are in because it's really a highly unlikely that Jesus is going to meet us someplace and look us in the face as he did those dis early disciples in the, in the 40 days after his death. We are stuck with believing by testimony, his testimony among others. That's John's terminology to talk about the voice of those who, who came to believe during the life of Jesus. Uh, it was to, to bear testimony for all of those who would, would, were to come later. In fact, later in this chapter, in verse number 31, he says it this way. He says, these things are written so that you might believe and that in believing, come to have life in his name. So my question is this. What, what are we afraid of? What are you afraid of? What is it that keeps you or what keeps any of us from moving closer to Jesus Christ and from receiving the, his peace, the peace that that removes the fears, the peace that removes the anxieties, the peace that enables him to be a part of our lives without that kind of fear. And uh, I think that those of us who know that kind of a peace, I think we understand what that's about, what he's talking about, but it's that peace that Paul talks about. He says, it passes understanding. There's no way to explain it really to somebody else. But it's just this. Well, I don't, I don't know what it is. It's it's just the stuff that comes and it replaces all of that other stuff and, and it leaves you going, you know what, this is right. This is good. It's, it's the life that you've always wanted and part of that is the peace that comes through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Part of it is also his purpose that comes through his commission in our lives. Um, you remember it. Uh, somehow when you went out on the playground and uh, in, during recess uh, they chose up teams, right? Um, you ever figure out, you ever figure out how they had got to figure out who the captains were? You know, when you're out in the recess, you're, I don't know, second, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, something like that, 
and you're all in the playground and they j decided to choose, choose teams and stuff, but somehow there's always two captains, right? How'd they do that? I don't know. Anyway, nobody ever elected captains. Somebody just said, you know, it was Jeff or it was, it was Pete, you know, and Jeff was the captain of one team, Pete was the captain of the other team, and, 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 and nobody ever elected them captain. I didn't vote on that. Did you? I didn't. But somehow they got to be captains, and, and you know how it went, right? Remember how that? They said, I'll take you, and I'll take you, and I'll take you, and I'll take you, and I'll take you. And then, and then pretty soon it's, uh, no, you take him. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> I don't want him. You, you got him on your team, and you figure out what you can do with him, right? Um, I always dreamed of the day, you know. Anybody watch the World Series this last week? Great series, right? Against the, uh, this, um, against the Cubs and the, and the Bears, right? Just check and see if you're listening, right? Houston Astros and, and the Dodgers. Great game. Wasn't that a good game? You watch it? Yeah. Um, and I've seen a number of those series games, haven't you? Have you seen a number of those where just this last series, it's like the, um, it went through game seven, and right towards the end of that, it's like almost every one, you're in the bottom of the ninth and somebody hits another home run and either prolongs it for extra innings or it's just like now all of a sudden it's like they won the game. That happened in this series a number of times, right? If, if, you, if, you, got to, if you got to see that at all. And, and uh, so and I know Ben did. He got to see that. It's an exciting thing. But I always, I always dreamed of that day that it would be the ninth, ninth uh, bottom of the ninth, two outs, and... And uh, bases are loaded, and the coach says, you know, I want you up to bat. That never really happened, obviously, but, but there's, there's something about the, being that person that, that, uh, that, that, that sense of, of being the one who has been trusted with something. But I, I really think that this is what this is about. Um, he says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. He's commissioning you. And he's commissioning me, he's commissioning us to be his representative in the world. He's, he's giving us this important role that, that, that you could possibly, the most important role that you can possibly give anyone. He's putting us up to bat in the bottom of the ninth. He's giving us the ball, maybe if you're, if you're into, foot, into football, he's giving us the ball when there's no time left on the clock and he's saying to you, I want you to be the person that I have confidence in and he gives us a purpose that I think comes directly out of his commission to send us out into the world and to be his representatives and the text says as the father sent me I'm sending you I, I, I think that was one of the most important things that we got to grab a hold of as Christians he's sending us I find myself asking as I look at things like this is well, if, if, the, if we're sent like the Father, if we're sent like the Father sent Jesus, how did he send him? I think that's pretty clear in the Gospel of John, don't you? Well, he sent him this way, right? He sent him in the flesh. That's how he sent him. Do you remember John chapter 1? He says, uh, it, it says that he came and he set up his tent among us. Uh, he, he dwelt among us and and, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of, of grace and truth. The way that God sent Jesus into the world was in the flesh so that people could see Him and touch Him and look at Him. 
So how is He sending us? In the flesh, right? That's how He sends us, so that people can... He doesn't send us by way of letters. He's not sending us, he's not sending, you know, not, we're not flying over with the gospel blimp, blimp and, and dropping tracts or things like that. Uh, we're going out and we're living among people where they can see flesh and blood. They can touch us, they can look at us, they can evaluate us. They, they, they can take a shot at whether or not you're really Christian because they can see you every day. But that's the way that God works. He sends real life, live, uh, real life people into the lives of other people so that they can make a difference. That's how God works. How did the Father send him? Well, He not only sent him in the flesh, but the Father sent him totally dependent. Think about that. Remember what Jesus said? It's, it's, it, I, I think this is a shocking, one of the most shocking statements in the Gospel of John. He said, I can do nothing myself. I can only do what the Father gives me to do. That's how He sent us, right? He didn't send us out into the world doing our own thing. He sends us out into the world doing the thing that God, call, God called us to do. It's like what Blackaby, uh, Henry Blackaby um, he has a, a book that's called Encountering God. Um, but in that statement, he says this, figure out what God is doing and join Him. Wow, right? Figure out what God, so many times, that, isn't that what we're doing? We're trying to figure out what we got to do. Figure out what God is doing and join Him. I love that quote. Figure out what God is doing and join Him. That's what we need to do. Finding out where God is working and say, you know what, God, can I come alongside and work with you? We don't have to try to figure out what it is that God wants you to do. You don't have to try to figure out what it is that God wants you to do. Just keep your eyes open and be sensitive to where God is at work. Begin to see the fingerprints of God moving in the lives of people and all you have to do is, is say, can I come alongside God? Can I come alongside and be Jesus to this person? Because you realize, I hope we realize that for the vast number of people, the only Jesus that they will ever see is you and me. Because that's how He sends us, as His representative, totally dependent upon Him, not upon ourselves. Well, he sends him, not only totally dependent, he sends him with his spirit. Sends him with his spirit. All through the gospel, that's what he's been talking about, is, is I'm going to go away, he says, and, and when I go away, I'm going to send somebody just like myself to, to come and to take up residence in you. Um, I'll be with you all the time. And so he sends his spirit, and the spirit comes, and he lives with us permanently so that we can be the Jesus that we need to be to people. As the Father has sent us, we go out into the world and in this vital connection with God, through His Spirit representing Him, frankly doing one of the most unusual things that the Bible ever talks about. Verse number 23. He says, you're going to forgive sins and not forgive sins. 
And it's really a kind of a puzzling statement that really causes me to kind of sit back and to scratch my head and say, what in the world is he talking about, right? The power to forgive sins? But I, I, I really think it's a, it's a collective kind of thing. It shows up, I, for example, I, it, it shows up in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 16. It shows up in chapter 18. It shows up here. It's, uh, it's this kind of thing... Uh, that, that seems to me to say something like this, you know, when the gospel is preached, and that's our job, is to, to, be, to be Jesus and to preach the gospel and to give people an opportunity to, to have this encounter with Jesus, to, to encounter God themselves. Their response to that is going to determine whether or not they have forg been forgiven already in heaven. See, here's what I'm saying. If, if, the, if, if I preach and you refuse to respond, if you just turn your back on God, it's pretty well decided whether or not you have been forgiven, right? It's your choice. That's basically the bottom line, right? It's your choice. And I think that what John is saying is that we're going to go out into the world as his followers. We're going to give a message for Jesus Christ and it's going to be obvious by people's response whether or not they have really, in fact, heard the message that we're sharing. I don't have power to forgive sin. Do you? I don't have power to forgive sin, but what I do have is the power, what I have the power to do is to tell you about Jesus or tell others about Jesus uh, but he's the one that has the power to forgive you. I can tell people about Jesus, a Jesus who has the power to forgive others. And if you respond to him, if others respond to him, I can tell you in absolute confidence that you have been forgiven. Right? I think it's that simple. If you've given your life to Christ, if you have responded in obedience to Jesus, if you have placed your faith in him, you have been forgiven. If you haven't, you haven't. That's the gospel. See, I think the life that you've always wanted, that we've always, that anyone, I think that the life that we want is found in that purpose of being able to be God's representative in the world, of having a purpose that makes a difference, that makes life valuable. But it's not just that. Not just that he gives us peace, not just that he gives us purpose. It's also that we've received his presence through his spirit. And that has been the promise all the way through the text uh, from, from John chapter 14 all the way through the, this place where he's been saying it over and over again. I'm going to send you to my, uh, I'm going to send you my spirit. I'm going to go away. And if I go away, I'm going to come back. And or I'm going to, I'm going to, if I go away, I'm going to, I'm going to give you my spirit. And now he comes in. The first thing he says, he does is he breathes on them and he says, I want you to receive my spirit. Wouldn't that have been amazing to see that? Well, it does happen. We've seen it. I hope you've seen that. Right? I mean, it should sound familiar with this. Remember this scene? He leaned down on the ground and he molded some clay right, into some, into some dirt into this shape, and he called it man. And the next thing that we, we hear is he does what? He breathes into his nostril. That's what the text, that's what Genesis says, right? The breath of life. 
Do you remember this scene? Ezekiel wakes up, and he looks out in front of him, and there's this valley that is full of dead bones. And pretty soon the, the bones uh, uh, begin to have muscles and, and, and sinews, and, um, and, and pretty soon uh, they have flesh. And then Ezekiel wants to know, can they live again? And what does God do? He breathes on them and they come to life. You see, life is found in the breath of God. That's the word for the Spirit. He comes and He, he breathes into us life. And so He comes to this group of frightened disciples that are not sure what they want to do. They're not sure how they're, they're supposed to live. They're not sure how they're going to respond. And He says to them, I'm going to give you new life. I, and He breathes on them the Holy Spirit. And they come to life. You may not have seen it. Um, if you haven't, you probably ought to. It's the movie um, City Slickers. About the three guys, and they kind of have this midlife crisis, and they're out there chasing cows and stuff, and they're riding down the road on three horses, and they're having this, oh, this remarkable conversation, and they start talking about some things like do-overs. Anybody seen that movie? It's an old one a couple of us. Nobody else? No? Nobody here? You have? Um, you, it's a must-see. It's a classic. But they start talking about do-overs. You get a do-over. Don't we all wish for that sometimes? I think that that's really what this is about. It's about do-overs. Have you, have you have you thought about the fact that Peter is in this room, the one who has denied him uh, uh, three days uh, before, and he, you know, we always pick, about, pick up or pick on Peter, and we seem to think that he's the bad guy because he's the guy who's kind of verbalized this kind of thing, I guess. I don't want anything to do with Jesus, so, so somewhat he says, in, in, in basically. But did you ever ask where the rest of the disciples were at the cross? The only people at the cross were a bunch of women and John. The rest of the disciples are like Peter. They are off in the corner someplace, hiding behind locked doors, and Jesus comes in and he says to them, Peace to you. And he breathes on them the Holy Spirit, and he says, Let's do it over, shall we? Let's start over. And see what? That is the promise of his presence in our lives. He comes into our lives through his spirit, and he says, let's, uh, let's have a, he lets us have a fresh start, not because we deserve it, but simply because he wants us in a relationship with him so badly that he's willing to give us a fresh start. He makes this promise. He says, I will send my spirit, and he does, because frankly, that's exactly what Jesus does, is he keeps his promises, and throughout the Gospels, we hear it. I mean, there's this, this one who's coming who's going to bring salvation, and and he's going to come. He, he comes with the promise of his presence, who, who comes with the promise of his peace. And, and all the way through the Gospel of John, we hear his promise that he will come again. And what does he do? He shows up. Shows up in a room. He promises them peace. And what does he do? He brings them peace. He promises them new life. And what does he do? He shows up and he breathes onto them new life. He says, I will come and I will take up residence in 
your life. And He does. He comes and He breathes into them the Holy Spirit and they all become new again. And He keeps His side of the promise. It's a life of peace. It's a life of purpose. It's a life of His presence in you and me. But like those disciples, it's always up to us, isn't it? It's entirely up to you and to me whether or not we have that or not because we, you see the response is the same response I think of Thomas a week later. He, he, he missed that first go around for some reason. Remember Thomas and you know, unless I see his hands, unless I see his feet, unless I see his side, I will not believe. Somehow he missed it. But when Jesus shows up and he shows him his hands and his side, all of a sudden Thomas's response was, do you remember what it was? My Lord and my God, right? And that's the response that he's always looking for from you and from me, that whenever we encounter Jesus, that we would say about Jesus, my Lord and my God, I want the life that you want me to have. It's the life that you've always wanted, right? Let's pray together. Father, I think sometimes we get ahead of ourselves and we, we think that we know what we want. And I pray that our, our hearts and our minds begin to be formed to a, an understanding of it, 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 that it's not so much important about what we want, but really that we begin to focus on what it is that you want from us. Because that's what's really important. This world is passing away. And um, it'll be here today, but gone tomorrow. When all is said and done, what will really be important is what you want. Father, I just uh, pray that you would challenge us to, to always, to wake up every single day and to be focused on the things of Jesus and, and to, to be focused on making a difference for you. Help us to experience the peace that you offer to us and the purpose that you offer to us, but also your presence in our lives each and every day as we, as we live in this world that is um, so much in need of an encounter with Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.